Let us then turn in God's word to 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll be reading what should be chapter 7 of 2 Kings. Unfortunately, the chapters were put into the Bible long after they were written. And so, this all belongs together. So let us hear together God's word from 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at reading at verse 24 and reading through the end of chapter 27, or chapter 7. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give, me your, give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now it happened. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked. And there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him, but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows of heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, You shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the camp of the Assyrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of of horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight, and they left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank, and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. 
Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain, we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went into the Syrian camp, and surprisingly no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, Please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either come, become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king went, sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour sold for a shekel, and two, two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened, just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel. And a sea of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to our consideration of it this morning. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, what do we trust? Do we trust our eyes, our experiences? Or do we trust God? We've got to realize that as we consider thinking back to Elijah and Mount Carmel. The witness is the same. The fact is that we need to trust God. We need to have our trust in God more than the ground underneath our feet. God's word is more firm than that. God says that heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or one tittle of God's word will pass away till all is fulfilled. And as we look at this passage, we also need to see so, such powerful parallels to our sins. They blame God for their bad situation. This is God's fault. How often do we blame God for problems that our sins create? And believing that even God couldn't change our situation. And indeed as well, God brings them a message of hope. But they don't hear. 
They don't believe. And how often do people hear the message of the gospel and don't believe? Even people who have grown up in the church and heard it throughout their lives and even perhaps were confirmed, yet they don't truly trust in God. And again, we're amazed when God provides the hope and the blessing that He promises. And there are many that have heard the truth of the gospel, but have not believed that we'll see the truth of the salvation which God has given, but they have not believed. So, at that last day, they will not receive eternal life, they will receive eternal judgment. And so as we look at this passage, the theme that we see is man despairs, but God brings about his promised deliverance. Man despairs. It's so easy for us to despair as human beings, but God does bring about his promised deliverance. In verses 24 through 31, we see God blamed for Samaria's gruesome siege In verses 32 through chapter 7, verse 4, we see God brings his message of hope in the midst of despair. In verses 5 through 20, we see God's promised deliverance is revealed. So man despairs, but God brings about his promised deliverance. So Syria is besieging Samaria to the point of starvation. At some point, it seems, and we don't know the timing, but after this, we read verse 24, so the previous verse said, the bands no longer came in from Syria, but now the whole army comes in. And there was a great siege, a great famine then in Samaria, such that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cob of dove droppings. A small amount of dove droppings to be eaten, sold for five shekels of silver. A donkey's head would, of course, be totally, um, what's the word, unclean to the Israelites. It wouldn't provide much food but it would cost 80 shekels of silver. And again, even dove droppings, totally against the ceremonial laws. But remember, the more important famine is the famine of God's word. The kings and Samaritans hadn't gone to Elisha for help, They were not willing to humble themselves and put away their false gods. And so this is how bad it got in Samaria. And so we have an example of the situation. The king of Israel was passing on the wall, perhaps rebuilding damage, surveying the enemy. And a woman cries out to him for help. And his response is if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help? We don't have anything left. There is no help left here other than God. And food is on everyone's mind. There's no food left. And he points her to the right place for help. 
to the Lord. But of course, he says that without trusting in the Lord. We have to understand that. There's an awful lot of people who point to God, but they do not trust in God. They do not truly hope in God. The problem often is that we're looking for earthly things. Our minds are stuck on health and wealth, filling our bellies, rather than the most important things, which are the glory of God. Remember that, that Elijah could say to the widow of Zarephath, make me a cake first. Put God first. Trust in God's word. Not in your own feelings, not in your own eyes, not in your own understanding. What is that proverb? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And the siege is so bad that the people had resorted to cannibalism. So though the king can't do anything, as he has stated, he's willing to hear her difficulty. He says to her, what is troubling you? And we hear the gruesome story. This woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Human life, a gift of God, becomes a casualty of war. And yet, how do we deal with that? What do we say? God gives life. We are not to use human life in this manner. Human life has a preciousness. Why? Genesis chapter 9, because in the image of God made he man. No matter how desperate the straits, we do not do this. And yet, what does she come to the king for? Food? No, she comes to the king for justice, which is what governments are there to do. But of course, the king does not have any answer. Forsaking God brings judgment. God promises this. Read Deuteronomy 28, 53 through 57. I'll just read 53. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given to you in the siege and in the desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you. God told Israel that this was going to happen when they forsook him. And the more we forsake God as a nation, the more we will go down roads just as horrific. As we walk away from God, we are exposed more and more to the cruelty of unbelief. God again and again chastened Israel, calling them back to himself. But they wouldn't listen. And God continues to chasten our own nation. And if we don't turn from our evil ways, it will be destroyed just as well. I weep for that idea. But brothers and sisters, we need to understand that we need to turn around as a nation. We are a, a witness to great evil in this world. 
with regard to all the LGBT alphabet junk across this world, pushing that on nations where it's abhorrent, because it is abhorrent. As we think about the things that go on, pushing abortion, pushing so many evil things. This has been 15 years ago. One of my friends I went to seminary with was in Kenya. And I've told you this story before, but it hasn't gotten better. What do we as a nation represent to the world? He said, when the President of the United States or when a representative comes to our country, they push the homosexuality, they push um, killing babies, they push, um, you know, lack of marriage. And when China and India come to our nation, they push the development of infrastructure. Which are you going to listen to? Brothers and sisters, Our nation has begun to represent evil in this world. And we need to return to Christ. We need to humble ourselves and bow before God. And we need to love these people who have these dumb ideas and call them back to Christ. Call them back to truth. We don't seek to to hate people, but we want to love them and call them to truth. And the king does what with this? He blames God. And it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, they looked. And there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. He tore his kings in shock and mourning for what he had just heard. But notice what was underneath his clothing, sackcloth. He was wearing the clothes of penance. But he had not addressed the Lord in penitence. He had only worn clothes of sadness in the midst of this horrific situation. But then what does he do? He lashes out against God and against his word. God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. He swears by God that he is going to behead Elisha. Now, what was Elisha's involvement in this? Now, we don't really know, but Elisha had commanded the king to send back an army from Syria when he had brought them into Samaria. Perhaps Elisha's other involvement had given them courage to stand against the king of Syria. Now, they were in the midst of this situation resorting to cannibalism. And Elisha brings the message of hope. Elisha is where? We read verse 32. Sitting in his house with the elders sitting with him. The rest of the world around him is falling apart. But Elisha is sitting in the midst through this. Was Elisha not affected by this siege? He certainly was. But in the midst of the danger and trouble, God's people can trust God rather than scurrying around in fear. God is the one who cares for us. 
And even if we die in the midst of this sort of situation, God is good enough for us. Notice that the elders were sitting with him. Now, what elders? I lean toward them being civil authorities. There were those who had seen this situation, and they had gone to Elisha. But obviously they were not the ones who were in authority with the king. And by the way, just because we seek an answer from God does not mean that he's going to make life easy for us. God often says wait or no in his perfect will, and we need to acknowledge and trust that. And God has an answer for them, an awesome answer. But these elders had to wait for God's timing. And so the king sends a messenger to bring Elisha to him. The very phrase that we read here, the king sent a man ahead of him, tells us that the king is coming behind. But before the messenger came to him, before there was any notice of it, Elisha says to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer, Ahab, has sent someone to take away my head. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. Elisha knows by the power of God what's going to happen. And that the king is going to come behind him and Elisha is going to bring God's message not to some messenger. Elisha is going to bring God's message to the king. And the king despairs, yet God promises his salvation. While they were still talking with them, he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? The king says, I'm going to go. Why should I wait for the Lord anymore? And notice he's correct. The calamity comes from the Lord. Amos 3, verse 6, If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Yes. When there are calamities, when there are problems, they are in God's hand. What is our response? Remember what Jesus said about the Tower of Siloam. What happened? Fell on people. Were those any worse sinners than the rest of you? No, what's the response? Unless you all turn, you will all likewise perish. What's the problem of their perishing? Was they perished without Christ? That's the problem. And we have to understand, what's the danger? The biggest danger here for them is not the army of the Syrians. The biggest danger for them is the judgment of God. And the biggest danger for all of us is the judgment of God. Will we turn from our sins to God? Or will we die in our sins? And of course, the king wouldn't turn from his sins to God. He wouldn't repent. And so God often sends hardship as a correction. What is going to be our response? To be hardened against God? Or to run to him in repentance? And yet God gives his promise of hope. 
Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a sea of flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. While the king is seeking to put Elisha to death, he comes to the speaker of God's word. And God's word is gracious. God is gracious. And so often... We dwell in our own thoughts instead of, seek, instead of speaking to God, instead of going to God. Our internal monologue needs another voice, God's voice from His Word. And God promises that tomorrow in approximately 24 hours, the prices of food would return to normal, if not even cheaper than normal. And an officer doesn't believe it. He says, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And we know the judgment. In fact, you will see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. An officer of the king, close to the king, showing us what's in the king's heart as well. If God would make windows in heaven, what do we believe? Do we believe God's word or do we believe what we see with our eyes and touch with our hands, our five senses? And Elisha brings God's judgment on this man's unbelief. You will see it, but not eat of it. And so we see the despair that's going on, and we take one more step down in despair. Man's human despair, the four lepers. There were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? They were not allowed into the city, but they were greatly affected by the famine. They had no ability to get food. The poor are often more affected by financial crises than the middle class or the rich people. It may make life harder for for us, but for those who rely on gifts and rely on other people's generosity, when those who have something start running out, they start holding for themselves and hoarding. So those who usually live from gifts get less. It gets harder. And they said, if we enter the city, the famine's in the city, and we'll die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we live. If they kill us, we shall only die. What's their conclusion? Their conclusion is despair of ourselves. We despair. Without the grace of God, without hope. And we live in a world which has so little hope. And so we're going to die here. We're going to die in the city. Our hope, really, they said, is to go to the Syrians. Maybe they'll keep us alive. Maybe they'll feed us. And maybe they'll kill us. As... um, Jeremiah says in Lamentations 4 verse 9, Those who are slain by the sword are better off than those who die for hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. Dying of hunger is a harder death than just being killed. We end this section of this passage with the despair that's going on in Samaria. The siege had done its work. And as we think about life, God often reduces us to nothing. 
so that we can cast our trust on him instead of on ourself and on our abilities. And yet God's promised deliverance comes. These lepers who leave in despair find the Syrian camp deserted at the Lord's power. They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. When they come to the outskirts of the camp, to their surprise, no one was there. They left at twilight, perhaps, so that when they were seen, they wouldn't be seen as lepers. It would have been harder to see their sores. And perhaps they would receive food. And when they got to the camp, to their surprise, nobody was there. What happened? How did this happen? God answers our question. Verse 6. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. God caused the Syrian army to hear the noise of chariots, the noise of horses. And you remember Elisha, God had acted upon their vision. Now God acts upon their hearing. And they jumped to a conclusion The king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Egyptians, to attack us. This was irrational. And yet, so often our fears are irrational. In the midst of the siege, Elisha could sit in calmness and trust. We can sit in calmness and trust in God in hardship. Even the surrounding army who is winning the victory from a human perspective trembles in fear. Mankind without God and His Word is continually trembling in fear. Despite how strong we may think we are, we are really weak and in danger in this world. We need God's protection, His care. I can't find it, but... Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes. The strong may find himself strong or even oppress others, but we're all subject to the same weaknesses. <clears throat> Remember what Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you, will, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we think about ourselves and then we, we, we forget in this world the burden that people carry in their sins, in their fears. And we don't have to carry that burden. Think of Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress. Reminded to lay down the burden at the cross. We need to lay down our burdens at Christ. We can lay them down because Christ carries them. We do not need to fear and run in hiding. And yet we read here about the Syrians with all of the army. They hear a noise and they run in fear. They fled at twilight. They left the camp intact, we read. Their horses, their donkeys, they fled for their lives. They didn't even get on their horses, which would have given them better speed to leave. They just ran. Apparently, perhaps saddling would take too long. 
They were unprepared for an external assault. And so when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, they ate, they drank, they carried from it silver and gold and hid them. They came to another tent, entered it, took some from there also and hid it. These lepers who had been relying on the generosity of others now had been given what they could not get for themselves, riches. God gives them and God gives us what we cannot obtain. Leprosy, of course, is a picture of sin. We cannot obtain forgiveness of ourselves. God gives it. And the lepers then bring the news of the deliverance to Samaria. They said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Despite their lives of difficulty being leprous, they're conscious of their need to spread the good news. And yet their consciousness comes from superstition. Some evil is going to come on us. Because we're not doing it. How often do we hear superstitious ideas like that? Instead of the fact that God calls us to tell these good news to, to the king, to love our brothers and sisters who are in the city and starving. We love life. This is why we do these things, not because there's going to be some superstitious problem that's going to get us to save lives. So they went and called the gatekeepers of the city, told them, they said, what? There was no one was there, not a human sound. And the gatekeepers called out. They told it to the king's household inside. Well, what's the king's response? He had heard the prophecy of Elisha, right? The king fears deception. Let me tell you now what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. The king, who had been thinking battle tactics, thinks about this from the perspective of battle tactics. The old, when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Well, when all we're thinking is human perspective then we think human perspective. They're attempting to end the siege by trickery, draw them out of the city and catch them alive. He had not listened, had not digested Elisha's promise. His trust was in his tactical mind rather than on Almighty God and His power. And even though he had seen it before what the Syrians brought into Samaria, his trust was in his own army, his shield, his power. And a servant convinces the king to investigate and found it, and they find it as reported. One of his servants answered, Please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send and see. Notice again the language of man of despair. Without God and without His good news, we all walk around in despair. 
We look for peace. We look for hope. But without God's Spirit, we look anywhere but in the Bible. They say we're either gonna, they're either going to die here or they're going to die out there. So what do we read? Verse 14, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army and said, go and see. Notice they couldn't even find five horses to go on. They took two chariots, which meant two horses, and they went in the direction of the Syrian army. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown down in their hastes. So the messengers returned and told the king. They had followed the trail all the way to the Jordan, seeing the things that the Syrians had cast off in their haste to get away from whatever they had heard, casting things off to get away faster. Then the people went out and plundered the tent of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley were sold for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. God keeps his promises. With God, all things are possible. Do we trust in our own understanding, or do we trust in the God of the universe? Now the king had appointed as officer... On the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God said when he, who spoke to the king when the king came down to him. That same officer had been set as duty over the gate. And the people, in their haste to find food, trampled him, just as God, as God had promised. And we see that rewritten for us to remind us. They trampled in him in the gates. And I want to think on that just ever so briefly. Again, we are so directed by our bodily desires and by our needs that we misuse and abuse people around us to get them. Yes, this was a famine. But to trample someone to get food is still evil. To be involved in that is evil. And we think back all the way back to the gruesomeness of cannibalism. Even if it's to get food is evil. We have to understand that. To love our brothers and sisters to care for them. And as we live in this world, what's our hope? Think of Elisha sitting in his house, starving, certainly, but willing and able to starve, trusting God. And brothers and sisters, what's our reaction? We hear about on the radios, the food supply is really tight. The diesel supply, this, that, the other thing, right? It's enough to get people worked up into a frenzy, and they are. I think we need to be wise. But where's our trust? Where's our hope? Is it how much food I have in the basement? Or is it in the God of the universe who provides and takes care of his people? And do we blame God for the troubles that our own sins create? 
Or do we trust in the God of the universe, day by day, moment by moment, for all that's necessary? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us. You who supply all that is necessary for body and soul. You to whom, as Elijah said to the widow of Zarephath, give me a cake first. Trust God, trust his word. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Certainly to be wise as serpents, but at that same time to be harmless as doves, loving our neighbors, especially with your gospel, with the good news of your word. In the midst of a world that is frenetic with fear, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in life and in death, no matter what comes, that we can rely on Almighty God. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us to witness with that truth to a world that is so in need. Help us, Lord, as well to still our own hearts. As there is so much fear around us that we are so easily caught up in it. And to be reminded that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Help us, Lord, to trust that you will provide what's necessary for our bodies too if you have given to us eternal hope. For we pray this in the name of our Savior, praying as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.